Welcome to Commune, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that bring us together and help us live healthy and purpose-filled lives. I'm your host, Jeff Krasnow. What exactly is clean beauty? Though many companies look to sell you on their all-natural or organic products, did you know that within the cosmetics industry, there is no regulated formal definition for those terms? Just turn the bottle over and you might find yourself back in chemistry class except you're putting these chemicals on your skin and into your body, where honestly, they have no business being. And to make matters worse, even seemingly innocuous terms like fragrance can hide hundreds of toxic synthetic ingredients. Lucky for us, Joy Reese and Luke Getty, founders of Skinny & Co., are here to shine some light into these murky waters. They started Skinny & Co. after Luke traveled to Southeast Asia and discovered what true coconut oil is capable of. Now they make beauty products with five or fewer simple ingredients that are clean enough to eat because what you put on your body not only seeps into your bloodstream, but it also runs off into our soil and groundwater. If you like this podcast, I would also encourage you to check out our newest course, Clean Beauty, where Joy pairs up with wellness expert Sophie Jaffe to demystify your self-care routine from top to bottom. The course is going to be available for free from August 5th through August 14th. Just go to onecommune.com to sign up. And with that, I'm Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. I am Joy Reese, and I am a co-founder of Skinny & Company. Um, we started it in our family living room about five years ago with 10 jars of coconut oil, not having any idea what to do with that. And um, so that's kind of where we, how we got here. And I'm Luke Getty, and uh, I'm the also uh, co-founder as well. And I really, um, I help run the, run the company and do the product development and sourcing overseas and um, with work in Vietnam and then um, we're our factory in Indianapolis as well. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about the genesis of the company and about your experience in Vietnam, because I, I think that that's a big part of the genesis. Is that right? Yeah, so I uh, I played football in um, college uh, for a few years, got hurt, uh, ended up getting behind in my schooling. And so I went back to um, CU Boulder and went to school for three, uh, three years straight, didn't take a summer. At the end of that, <clears throat> I had run a small business and uh, basically worked another job and had some money saved. So I decided I was just going to go for a four-month trip overseas. And uh, I'd worked at a Thai restaurant and really wanted to go to Thailand. And so I took off, you know, nine days after graduation, and um, I ended up being gone for about two years. So I went uh, all over Southeast Asia. I lived in India for a little bit, Colombia, South America. And uh, through that process, I had been to Vietnam, motorbiked the country from bought, you know, $200 motorbikes in Hanoi and drove them, you know, 18 days down to Saigon, breaking <laughs> about every 30 miles, <laughs> and, but really fell in love with Vietnam. And uh, this was in 2010. And we ended up with a small import export company and just kind of navigating and trying to figure out what we were doing um, for a year and a half and, you know, really kind of got into commodity trading and finding factories and trying to connect buyers and really through that process learned kind of been in international trade and what we were getting in the U.S. from overseas is not necessarily what you think you're getting. Hmm. And that was kind of an aha moment. And um, 
in 2012, we decided to come back and um, bring a product direct from manufacturing, cut out all the middle people so you could guarantee the quality. And uh, we ran into a guy who made great coconut oil. Uh, an engineer had no idea what to do with it. <laughs> and, you know, we kind of partnered together and said, hey, you make it. You know, we'll go and find the market and let's really break this, bring this to the world. Uh, can I can I stop you, though? Let me tell him a little bit about Tom. He knew that the coconut oil that we get in the U.S. wasn't real coconut, and it wasn't doing the things that the coconut oil in the in Southeast Asia was doing. And, and he thought, you know, I could probably su- save the health of North America if I could figure out how to make real coconut oil and put it in a jar. And that's what he spent, what, seven years developing that machine when you had found him? Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, you had already made the connection between coconut oil and health and well-being or was this an iterative process it it was it was a journey Mm -hmm. um we first wanted to bring a super pure product to market and so you know going from different factories and seeing how cashews and all this different stuff was made um you know cashews being shelled by kids in vietnam and these other products that had all tons of issues you know the coconut oil from that that i found with ton was the purest and he cared about the quality Mm. didn't have any idea you know really anything about coconut oil you know i just knew coconut was good for you and uh southeast asians eat it and they put it on everything and you know a lot of times they make it themselves um and so that's when I brought it back, and I was sitting in uh, he, he unpacks it from his duffel bag and basically says, hey, Mom, have you and all your weird friends test this and tell me what you think? And I was like, oh, well, what is it? And he goes, well, it's coconut oil. And I, had, I knew enough about coconut oil, and I had had a professor years ago say, yeah, stay away from coconut oil. There's a lot of chemicals in it. We've done some testing on it. Energetically, you don't want to touch it. So I wasn't that interested in it. I didn't really know. He didn't really explain it to me. We were having kids. He had come back because his younger brother was graduating from high school. And so I was busy. I wasn't thinking about this jar of coconut oil. I had him. He handed it to me. It's kind of like my Mother's Day gift. So I started using it. I remember baking brownies with it and just starting to experience this coconut oil. And it was just unlike any prog. It was just like any, uh, unlike any pro- uh, product that I had ever experienced. Yeah. And so in terms of the process itself, what was the difference between this particular coconut oil and and how it was processed? I mean, obviously, coconut oil has a certain heating point, I think, at, at which point it, it becomes a little more dangerous. So can you explain a little bit of the, of the science? Yeah. So when you make coconut oil, generally, uh, it's when you process anything, it's all about getting the moisture out. If you have oxygen and water, that's what starts to degrade, oxidize um, products. And so anytime you're in processing, the key is how quickly and efficiently you can pull moisture. And in coconut oil, a lot of times that's done by, really there's two ways. You you grind the meat and you put it through high heat, Mm -hmm. generally 100 Celsius, uh, either steam or through these large furnaces that that evaporate the water. Our belief, and I think you know, a lot of the raw movement is anytime you add heat or it's processing, and anytime you process, you denature and you lose the efficacy. And what was unique about what Ton had developed, and you know, we saw I saw that, and we went and, and patented the process. So we have this patent on how to basically take moisture out of anything at room temperature which is relatively uh, kind of revolutionary um, in, in processing. And, you know, so we saw that. So he can actually demoisturize the coconut at room temperature relatively quickly. 
takes mm-hmm. us about 25 to 45 minutes to get the moisture down to about a five to 8%, um, which in processing is, is quite good. Um, and so that's really the difference. And, you know, there's other ways to make coconut oil. You can press the, you don't have to dry it. You can press the meat and you get coconut milk. Right. Uh, and then they spin it and they centrifuge and it's supposed to be this heatless process. Uh, the problem with centrifuging coconut milk is it's too thick. And so generally you have to add emollients to actually help separate it. And you either spin it so it's going up over 120 degrees or you have to put other stuff in it to stabilize it in order to get the oil. And so was there an aha moment for you guys where you're like, oh, my God, this isn't just about, you know, cooking with it. This could actually kind of revolutionize how people take care of their bodies and take care of their skin. He knew it was special. He knew that Ton had come up with something like from a business standpoint. But when I started using it just as a, you know, just as a gift almost, and I was cooking with it. And then I remember just being so drawn to it because it is so energetically pure. And I remember picking some up and, and scooping it up in a little bowl and taking it upstairs and putting it on my hair. And I was washing my skin with it. And pretty soon I was just really living with this coconut oil and with this process. And he was gone for about a month. He was in California here visiting and doing some import export stuff. And so I was, I was taking some continuing ed and I remember finishing this test and I, I walked to my desk and I turned my paper in, I walked to my desk and I sat down, I was picking up my pencils and I remember sitting there on the chair going, what am I doing? I was in my skinny jeans. Somebody had just complimented me in the class on my face. Like they were like, you look, boy, did you get some sun or did you color your hair? What'd you do? You know? And I just was feeling better. I was experiencing life a lot fuller and I thought, what am I doing? I was like, it's gotta be that coconut oil. It's the only thing I've changed. So Luke comes back a couple days later from, from California and he walks in the back door and I hear the back door um, click and I, I go and I grab that jar and I go and I say, sit down, I want to talk to you. He's sitting there and he just sits down like, oh no, I'm in trouble. What did I do? And I come back and I said, okay, what is this? And he said, well, mom, it's real coconut oil, but I just knew you were, you were too busy to, to even care about it when I left it with you. So I thought I'd tell you about it when you got interested in it. And that (laughs) is really how skinny was born. It was interesting. That was when you said, well, I've got a a European buyer that's going to buy it. And I said, no, we are fat and unhealthy and our cells don't work. You are leaving it in the United States. And so he said, well, I don't know what to do with it in the United States. And I said, well, neither do I. And the journey began. Yeah. In that journey, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so I was selling commodities and trying to do deals of containers. And, uh, you know, we brought it back to the U.S. And through the process of dealing with other co-packers and manufacturers and trying to figure out how are we going to make this and put it in a jar. And you kind of start learning about the system and you other of things you otherwise wouldn't have known it's you kind of like know how the sausage is made but you don't really want to and so as you really as we got into it we really started learning you know in some of these co-packers they they have to put chemicals through the process to help stabilize or else they won't certify it or they won't do it and and so you know through this process we decided the only way to make the best product is to do it ourselves and we had no idea how difficult a vertically integrated company on two continents yeah. <laughs> with no real funding would be. And the naivety is really, you know, when people look, that's our competitive advantage is that we've built out this system and we own, if not own, we control the whole process. The aha for me that started it all um, for the products we were making was the sugar scrub. Our sugar scrub has uh, real vanilla bean 
And real vanilla bean is not shelf stable. And so it shouldn't actually last in the product. But in the coconut sugar and the coconut oil, that vanilla bean, you, mm-hmm. it doesn't go bad. Mm-hmm. And we started realizing that because, you know, you don't know. You're just throwing things in a box and trying to – in a bucket and trying to mix it up. <laughs> and you start learning. And it's like this shouldn't last. This shouldn't be shelf stable. This should not be self shelf stable. Yeah. And it was kind of the aha of mm-hmm. if we can put real vanilla in a sugar scrub and get a two-year shelf life, what else can we do? And that's really what kind of started that – us down that road of, you know, coconut oil is a clean, pure preservative. Any coconut oil is, we just make the best and others might have pr- other junk in it. And so with ours, with all those impurities filtered and taken out of it, um, it really becomes the best carrier uh, on the on the market. And then yeah. you can put anything in it. And, you know, that it, it really is revolutionary and you can preserve real whole ingredients that really work and you know it protects it from being you know the oxygen or any water hitting it so it's um that was kind of the aha and why what we're doing is really special so you you started this little kind of family business um but the timing of it seems also very fortuitous because there is a growing sense of awareness uh, and and hopefully we can grow that awareness, but around what people are putting in and on their bodies. And so, you know, this is this realm is generally referred to as clean beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you then immediately see that market? And, and and why is clean beauty, quote unquote, why is it so important both for our personal health and for our greater environmental well-being? Um, <clears throat> it was a journey. We started to doctors only, to holistic and wellness doctors. And um, Deepak Chopra was carrying it in his clinic in San Diego. They were using it for oil pulling and things. And so we did kind of catch on some, you know, we did get some, um, traction there right off the, probably right off the bat, but, um, the, the clean beauty. And again, we, we weren't, we didn't start with beauty products. We started with a cooking coconut oil that we took to doctors only for really two and a half years. And, and when we started, no, you know, people didn't really know how to use coconut oil. This has been a, this has been a a movement that really, we've been excited to be a part of, but it, we kind of grew into it. I don't, I think we backed into it. I, I, yeah, I mean, we're not smart enough to, to look <laughs> ahead and say, "Oh, this is coming. We're gonna we're right? gonna do something." We uh, were just trying we, to do it right. He walked away from big contracts because he he didn't agree with what they were doing to these products that were shipped to the United States. Yeah. And I think because of that movement and that the right making the right decision there and really deciding to do it himself and do it right and <clears throat> not be dishonest about anything. That's kind of been inbred in everything that we've done and all of our products really ha- embrace that. Just to give us a sense of the consumer or industry landscape. I mean, what does the beauty industry, the typical mainstream beauty industry look like? I mean, wh- what's going on there? What are the chemicals and toxins that we find in 95, 98% of, 
you know, what's on the shelf at a, at a local CVS. Yeah, a lot of what uh, the beauty industry is what we call Me Too. And so, for instance, you know, coconut oil becomes a popular ingredient and you'll start finding coconut oil products all over the place. But they're really made the same as everything else. And you're finding uh, emollients and preservatives and toxic chemicals and fragrances um, along with um, plasticizers. And, you know, the, the beauty, a lotion is a lotion. And a lotion is 70 to 80% water. And it's, you know, if you have water in something, it's got to be preserved. And so, you know, the beauty industry might have these active ingredients, but the base of the beauty industry is this lotion cream. Uh, which generally is in nature, in in definition, toxic because it's got to be preserved. It's got to have all these things in it, and you know that's when you look. It's a lot of pretty packaging, a billions of dollars of marketing, and um, it's it's com- very competitive. Yeah, and it's very unregulated. So, what are some of like the health dangers or ramifications of I, you know, you hear about phthalates or, or mm-hmm. parabens or sulfites or yeah, I, I, the ben- the health, the health problems are going to be, and they are hormone disruptors, which means that mm. they are tricking the cell into thinking that our cells all need hormones and they have these receptor sites and these receptors come and these hormones come and attach to the receptor sites. Well, they, they present themselves as a hormone, but they're a fake hormone and they, and the cell receives them. It really is a foreign object that our bodies have never had to process or deal with for for all of the years of, of humankind. And so what ends up happening is it ends up storing, and it usually ends up storing two places, interestingly. Ends up storing in adipose tissue, fat tissue, or it ends up storing in the gray matter of our brain. So we're all foggy. We're not thinking clearly. We're fat. Our bodies aren't functioning properly. Our metabolism isn't working because our cells are all being... Um, you know, jeopardized by these toxic chemicals. And, you know, we just we don't wake up and, and recognize that. So, so you're saying that the toxic chemicals that are present in commercial beauty products can contribute to weight gain, chronic disease, brain fog, fatigue. All of the joke of it is that one of the biggest culprits is aging. Everybody's wrinkled and aging and they can't figure out why their bodies aren't functioning. Nobody's body is functioning properly. And so that is the, 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 the um, sad and almost the pathetic truth of it is that here we're, we're consuming and buying all these high-end products that are, you know, hundreds of dollars or whatever. It doesn't matter. If they've got these synthetic um, chemicals in them, they are disrupting the way that our natural body flow is. And, it, and, they're, and they're creating chaos in our cells and in our bodies. What are the big red flag ingredients that consumers should just look out for? Um, when they're when they're walking down the aisle, well, see that's a tough one. But you know, there's eighty thousand consumer chemicals, and over twenty thousand, I believe, in our beauty and body care. Wow. So, you know, for instance, an example is palm oil. Uh, there's a big move against palm oil. Well, they name palm oil like sixty different names, so right. you can never catch it in the ingredients list. Right. It's almost impossible to learn twenty thousand names. But there's a few red flags you can look for. And, you know, one of the main ones is fragrance. Fragrance is where they hide a lot of this stuff, the preservatives, the phthalates, the parabens. It doesn't have to be disclosed. It's protected under the law. 
And so if something's not u- using natural botanical scent or essential oils or and they're using fragrance, even natural fragrance, uh, that's a really big red flag. That's probably the biggest red flag, I would say, if we were going to mm. tell consumers, watch for one thing. Because if something has water in it, something automatically has to have a chemical in it to preserve it. And so a lot of times if you if you get through that list and there's just nothing there that rings a bell, like if you don't see phthalate or paraben or sulfate or some derivative of those words, then you look at the, and it will always say natural fragrance or fragrance. And that's a catchphrase. And sometimes they have tested, there are hundreds of chemicals sometimes in that one word. Unregulated, the law protects it. Um, and so this law that was um, that Congress started, it's called the TOSCA. It's the Toxic uh, Substance Chemical Act. And so it was supposed to be this big act that came in and got really uh, awakened people to chemicals. And what it ended up doing was, in reverse, it ended up um, legalizing and grandfathering in 60,000 chemicals that now are actually officially legal. Before, it was kind of like, don't ask, go tell. If you see the word natural, pure, eco, there's no regulation on those terms in any way and most of the time there's a study done I guess it was in 2010 but I think it's still very relevant 95% of eco-friendly natural products that we call greenwashed were actually fake they really were not natural 95% and so obviously you've been you've you've been articulate around um, talking about the personal health risks uh, associated with um, chemicals and toxins in, in, in cosmetics and beauty products. What are some of the um, ramification in, in ramifications and impacts on the environment mm. um, with some of these products? I mean, there's a ton. But I think something that's very interesting is uh, they're called VOCs, vol- volatile organic compounds. And a lot of times we think of them as when we drive, they're attributing to the environment um, and global warming and all these things that are uh, hurting our air and the ozone. And as they started doing more research, you know, they started finding these chemicals in the air that they couldn't trace to the cars. And what actually has ended up happening is it's all the beauty products that are evaporating that we're spraying. And, you know, the EPA will tell you it's 75% um, are from cars and 25 are from personal care chemicals. But as we're looking into it, it actually is more like 50-50. Yeah. So it's the personal care chemicals that we're using are as toxic to our environment and our ozone and our air as driving. But then for the environment too, you know, then you wash them off and they, you know, they you know what your you're putting on your skin goes into your body. And then of course, you know, you pee it out or, um, and it goes into the water you know, organic compounds can decompose, but what we're finding is a lot of these chemicals have a very long shelf life. Uh, they're called, some of them are called forever chemicals. You know, they, they have thousands of years of a thousand year shelf, um, half-life. And so you're finding them in the soil, which then you find them in the plants, which then you find them in the animals, which then you find them in in the water, in your water, in your body. And (laughs) I mean, we've got to wake up and say, what's it, what's it doing to our kids' cells? What's it doing to our bodies? What's it doing to our environment? What's it doing to our rainforest, our soil, our, you know, our air? If you can't eat something, why would you ever put it on your skin? Your skin's your largest organ. So I'm an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur. (laughs) So is he. And, um... (laughs) And I want to have impact with my life. Um, and impact often equates to scale, right? Often, not all the time. Um, and so 
to make real systemic change. You're wanting to reach one often chases a degree of scale. So what are the challenges in your business and in your industry around achieving those levels of scale and the balance around the purity of your product and and the growth of the business is is there a compromise to be made or you're like i'm not going to ever make that compromise and you know to heck with scale (laughs) (laughs) or maybe you can do both we're uh we're uniquely positioned because coconut oil is so um versatile that it is scalable in what we're doing. Now, the, the problem is the industry, right? We're just one player and we don't make every product possible and we're not going to reach everybody. And so you really need to look at how the industry can scale. And there's a lot of issues. Um, you know, the, it, the chemical industry in the U.S. is over a trillion dollars. They're bigger than Big Pharma and they're the most powerful lobbying group. Now, what's interesting is seven, you know, in the 70s, we didn't have all these chemicals. So human, humankind lived, you know, modern humans have lived for, say, 2,000 years uh, without them. And really only in the last 50 years have they all been introduced. So there's a way to do it. And, you know, there was beauty products and there was food. You know, there's yeah. – it, so it's, it's doable. It's just how do you wind that back? And some of it is consumer – we like easy. You know, our products will melt and have different consistencies, it's education. That's a tough one because right. it's it's not going to be the exact same every time you buy our product. Rose grows and smells differently different times of the year. Uh, lab, you know, All of our essential oils, because they're real. And so our issue of scale is that education piece. But as an industry, you know, we have to look and say, well, how did they used to do it? Right. It's so funny that you bring that up because there are all these kind of quote-unquote modern wellness trends like clean beauty, (laughs) yoga, meditation. Um, You know, you could just go on and on. Uh, The paleo diet, local food. Well, everything I just named is thousands, if not millions of years old. Exactly. But I think, I mean, yoga, 5,000 years old, meditation, you know, since, you know, 1500 BC or something. You know, we're were you know local food or farmers markets that's just Surprise. how we grew the food yeah. you know that's it so and i know but now i think you know people are sort of rediscovering these things because they address the salient issues in their own life i can't sleep i have so much anxiety i have so much stress i'm not healthy i've got i have a sick know. loved one I yeah mean, i have a really sick loved one that's always wakes you up yeah absolutely or you know rising sea levels i mean global issues too sure and so i think it's 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 in some ways what you're saying it's rediscovering some of these things that are old and true um to address these problems that are are modern and new and now they're 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 bigger and and than they've ever been before i mean you talk about 40 years ago you know, sure, there was cancer and there was chronic, there was diabetes and other forms of chronic disease. But you look at like the uh, the trend over the last 40 years and it's through the roof. Mm-hmm. So then you got to go back and look like what changed? Mm-hmm. What is the cause of of that uh, of that trend? Or it's not even really a trend anymore. It's just the modern human condition. Yep. It's like we've changed what's what we define as normal. Right. And 
you know, Zach Bush, he talks about this all the time. I mean, you know, he went back and looked and he was like, wow, there's, you know, glyphosate got basically introduced at a mass commercial level about 35, 40 years ago, you know, because we didn't want dandelions in our front yard anymore. (laughs) And there's a macho guy that can strap this thing on his back and pull it out (laughs) like a big bazooka and spray it all over the freaking place. But that's water-soluble toxicity going right into our soil and into our groundwater and that's exactly what you know you guys are talking about and addressing and it's crazy because dandelion stir fry is delicious <laughs> we, we, we eat it in vietnam i mean the weeds that we try to kill here are food in on the table the in other parts of the, of the yeah. other parts of the world it's interesting. Yeah. and how we got so far away off. from that and off it's well it's and really i think scary. you know what i i do think that when you look at that and and when those when roundup and when those glyphosates came on the market in, in, in such a mass then you just see the rise of all of these chronic diseases well and, yeah. the, and the problem is you know over the last 40 years this, this has been happening but it's it's not slowing down and that's really where you know we are stepping in with our products to give people a break but it, there's a breaking point at some point you know one in two people are going to have cancer one in eight women are going to have breast cancer. One in 16 children are autistic. Like these numbers are, are in the modern world are not acceptable. And it's not like this is being curbed. Like we have to wake up as a society and start buying clean, buying local, mm-hmm. getting back into better practices and looking and saying, well, how did we used to do it? And, and at some point or else, you know, it's not like it's going to just stop and we can close your eyes and move somewhere else because the whole water table the soil everything's being affected with all of this yeah i I mean there's a a personal empowerment piece of it Mm -hmm. where there's a switch uh that needs to go off in people's brains around this is not something that's happening to us we actually are an active participant in the human condition and the human condition is just what joel salatin often says it's just the aggregate of billions of little decisions yep um, and we can exactly. make those decisions every day. And we make them the strongest with our pocketbook. And that is what I always empower my patients with. I'll say, vote with your pocketbook. Don't buy that stuff. Make them do it better. Go buy local. That's why, you know, and a lot of times you just think, oh, you hear this nice little thing about buying local. And, oh, isn't that nice? No, buy it from somebody that cares about the product itself. Don't buy it from somebody that is calling up a huge factory in China and saying, hey, I want 2 billion units of, or 2 million units of this, you know, by Wednesday. Uh, you know, the future for us and, and what I really want to see, you know, we're still very small and trying to grow and a very much small business. But um, what I would love to get to is, you know, a clean, ethical, transparent. Those are the words that we live by. And, you know, being able to have a fully transparent supply chain, show people the trans- that transparency is possible yeah. and that the products work. And so that hopefully, you know, people start waking up and start demanding that from every part of their life. Yeah. God bless you guys. Thank you guys for your work. Thank you so and much. Thanks for working with us. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, we've just enjoyed every minute. At the heart of clean beauty is simplicity. We lived in a world without synthetic chemicals for tens of thousands of years. For our skin, simpler is almost certainly better, more sustainable, more nourishing for our bodies, and better for the environment. 
I hope this episode empowered you with the knowledge that there are healthy alternatives out there and that while the beauty industry can sometimes obscure the processing of their products, you have the power to research and find companies committed to making better choices. If you want to go even deeper into this topic, our latest course, Clean Beauty, will be available for free from August 5th to August 14th. This 10-day journey will demystify your beauty regimen from seed to skin and teach you how to develop a self-care routine that supports your holistic well-being. Reserve your spot at onecommune.com. I'm your host, Jeff Krasnow, and we'll see you next time.